0: Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. So glad to be here with you on this beautiful Lord's Day together. So excited to hear about your Peter and Paul fishing trip coming up. And not to, uh, get, a, not to get too technical but uh pastor joe said that we see uh the disciples fishing in the bible that that is true technically but you know for being professional fishermen the one thing that the disciples were never in fact able to do in all of scripture is catch a fish that's right the only time they can catch a fish is when there's direct divine intervention when literally the son of god intervenes miraculously Can I get an amen Lee? That's how, yeah, that's how, that's how Lee fishes. I'm the same way without direct intervention from God, but I do hope you have a good time. Speaking of Peter, we are beginning a new series. James and I are going to be doing a little teaching. We have come up with a very clever title for our series, the gospel of Mark an eight part series on the book of Jonah. I'm just, I'm just, it's obviously about Mark, right? And we're doing this series on Mark. If you are brand new to the Bible, if you're brand new to God and church and you're just in, in Long Island for Memorial Day weekend and you've been like dragged here, first of all, welcome. We're glad whoever church napped you loves you and they brought you here for a reason because they care about you. I'm glad you're here. And the great thing is it's your lucky Sunday. Because if you're brand new to all this, you're starting in a gospel. What better place to start than uh, uh, right here in one of the gospels? You know that there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are four men who, inspired by God, told what Jesus did while he was here on earth. It's also good if you're a veteran of all this. If you've if you've been through the Bible, you've, you've read Mark a gazillion times, you're going to be blessed going through this. This is, to me, it's, it's one of my favorite Gospels. It's one of the shortest. There's an economy of words. I like the book of Mark because this is the Gospel. It's second in the order. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But Mark is the one that was hottest off the press. Mark is the one who got published first. So this would have been about 20 to 25 years after the resurrection... And scholars think that it was none other than Peter who sort of dictated what had happened to Mark. Mark wrote it down, got it sent out to everybody. And so this one's hot off the press. In fact, Matthew and Luke probably read Mark. And that's why sometimes you'll see stuff that was in Mark. And then Matthew will expand a little bit more and give you like the director's cut, like the extended version. He'll be like, listen, Mark just, you know, cover this real quick. I'll give a simple example. Walking on water. He leaves out Peter walking on the water. And then other, the other gospels come in and be like, well, actually, there was this other thing that happened, right? And they, they kind of add, add to it. They're all telling the same story. Mark just comes out first. People notice, one of the things people notice about Mark is that Mark is like an episode of uh, 24. I mean, like, if you ever watch the old Jack Bauer show, uh, you know, it's funny. If you've never seen the show, it's about this, this, this guy who never makes any mistakes and does everything right. And it takes 24 hours. If people would just listen to Jack Bauer, the show would just be 12. He would, he would like solve the whole thing immediately all through Mark immediately and immediately and immediately. Like Mark is kind of how I think, you know, some of you are like that. You're like talking, talking squirrel. That's how Mark is. Mark is, I, I mean, immediate boom, boom. Things are, if you're a person who's ever said, here's another thing you'll, you'll love about Mark. Many of you, uh, no big sermons in Mark, no extended teachings. Sermon on the Mount, three chapters long, that's in Matthew. Olivet Discourse, that's John. Sermon on the Plain, that's Luke. With Mark, if you're a person who's ever said, Hey, actions speak louder than words, Mark is your book. Because this is a book all about not what Jesus, it's not about what he came to say. I mean, there's some teaching in here, of course there's teaching. But it's really about what he came to do. It's the action of Mark. And so where else would we begin? Let's begin at the beginning. You all are going to be blessed. And I'm looking forward. The, the, the lion's share of this teaching is going to go to James. But I'm glad to have the honor of kicking it off today. If you turn to Mark chapter 1 verse 1. I've also got the verses up here on the screen. You, you can follow along on your phone. If you brought your Bible, open it up. If you have an actual scroll, just be gentle. But roll it across the entire pew. I'm, Row here. You got it? All right. Mark chapter 1, verse (laughs) 1. Look. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I was this close to making the whole sermon about just that verse. That verse is deceptively dense. It's like uh, like a Krispy Kreme donut. You're like, how could something so light make me so heavy? That verse... Is packed. That verse is theologically loaded. It weighs a gazillion pounds. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to resist the temptation to spend all my time on just this one verse. I'm going to hit on two points. I think you need to know about this, and then I'm, I'm going to move on. I'm not going to make it the main focus. But Mark puts it all out there in verse one. He says, "This is what it's all about." The, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Just FYI, if you ever see the word Christ in the Bible, it's not Jesus's last name. Christ is his. His title, and it's the Greek word from Messiah. So if you wanted to say, if you wanted to read this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, Messiah, the son of God, it'd be perfectly accurate. There'd be no reason you couldn't do that Some translations even literally translate it Jesus Messiah Christ equals Messiah Messiah equals Christ It's just one's Hebrew and one is Greek that's, that's it And when it comes to English They picked the Greek and they went with Christ But it could easily be Messiah Everybody got it? That's a title The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Messiah The Son of God The first thing I want you to notice is that word gospel Like I said, just two quick points We'll move on A gospel When, when you hear the word gospel If you're like me It has religious connotations Right? When I hear the word gospel, I'm a preacher. Of course, I think religiously. I'm like, well, you know, preaching the gospel and proclaiming the gospel. And that, that's what it means. If we were to go up and down Middle Country Road and we began interviewing people, we said, hey, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think gospel? Probably wouldn't they think something religiously? Perhaps they would answer uh, it is a genre of music, right? Maybe that's the first thing that comes to mind. You think gospel music. Where I'm from, down south, if we interviewed people, what do you think of gospel? They would say, southern gospel. No one dances like this. I'm not, I'm not sure what, what that was. But, right, there's, there's some, you know, southern gospel music. The idea, it's a, it's a musical genre. For Mark, here's what's great. This word, he says, here's the beginning of gospel. Other people might actually think of a gospel, like we call the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Here's the point. For Mark, the word had no religious connotation at all. They used the word, the Greek word is euangelion, we actually get the word evangelism, right? Euangelion, you hear that in there? That, that, that's the Greek word, but, but it, had no, it had no religious connotation at all. The word gospel was not a religious word, it was a political word, it was a, a Roman word. It was a word that was used, but it was never used in religious spheres. A gospel was a royal announcement, Okay, a message... About some great thing that the Caesar had done or some great event that had happened. And because it happened, they would send out gospel messengers, right? Evangelions need Uangelianists, evangelists, and they would send these people out. These were not evangelists, like on TV, like, send me money and got no, 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 no. We're talking about like event like th- their job was to proclaim, hear ye, hear ye, citizens of Philippi or whatever, citizens of Caesarea. You know, citizens of Galatia, they would go out and they would say, Hear ye, hear ye. The great Caesar has battled the Visigoths and because he fought the barbarians, you will not be slaves. Woohoo! So tell all your friends and here's some pamphlets, right? And they would go off and they would go to another town and they would share the good news of what Rome had done for them on their behalf. In fact, in 9 BC, 9 years before Christ, there was an inscription, a gospel, that's what it's called, a gospel that went out to the whole Roman Empire, and it literally states the following. He writes in the beginning of the message, the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus, and then it goes on to tell the story of the birth and coronation of Caesar Augustus, and it's presented, because this man has lived and been coronated Caesar because of that, you're going to have a great life and you're going to be set free and you're going to, you know, you're going to have all these implications because of this great thing. And these gospels would go out most commonly about when wars had been won. So a great enemy had come and if this enemy defeated Romans, you were going to be slaves. You were going to have to be their prisoners. You would be carted off. You'd be kidnapped and taken away and separated from your families. But there's good news. We've just returned from the battlefield and the war has been fought and won on your behalf. And because of that, you will not be slaves to the enemy. You will not be kidnapped. You will not be separated. You will be free because a war has been done. That's the gospel, right? So Mark, of all things he could have started, Mark could have said, the beginning of the biography of Jesus Christ, born at an early age or whatever, right? But he's not writing a biography. He could have written the documentary about Jesus Christ. But there was no Netflix. So instead, he starts, of all the words he could have used, he picks a Roman word. And this is shots fired at the Roman government. He doesn't say the beginning of a gospel, Jesus among the other Caesars. He says the beginning of the gospel. Because all these Caesars keep talking about all this good news. But it's, you look around, it seems like things haven't changed. But here's some real good news. Something has been done on your behalf. And he takes those exact words, rips them off of Caesar Augustus, and applies them in a culture where everybody agrees Caesar is Lord. He says, "Uh uh-uh, Jesus is Lord. And he begins this thing, the beginning of the gospel. Here is a royal announcement. And right there, that shows you the difference between Christianity and every other religion. Every other religion, don't you see, a gospel is not good advice. It's good news. This is what's been done. What do I have to do to earn it? (laughs) What do you mean? What do you have to do to earn? Go fight an entire horde of Visigoths. There's nothing you can do. It's been done for you. Not what's been done. not, not, Not what you can do. What's been done. Think about it. In every other religion is basically the Christianity is hear ye, hear ye. This is what God has done on your behalf. Every other religion is hear ye, hear ye. This is what like ye must do to get to God. So, whether it's follow the noble eightfold path of the Buddha, seek salvation in that. Or perhaps it's to earn the approval of Allah, follow the five pillars of Islam as best you can. Or if you're not religious at all and you're seeking secular salvation, your mantra is be true to yourself. Above all, be true to yourself. Whatever obligations you have to break, You always remain true to yourself. Don't you see? You're seeking secular salvation, and that's the mantra you have to follow to get it. Everybody does. With Christianity, all these religions do, do, do. With Christianity, done. It's been done. And that's why he begins by saying, gospel, good advice, good news. The second thing I wanted to mention is that uh, Mark right there in that verse is laying it all out on the table. If you forget, okay, if, if, if you come back next week and you're like, oh man, Tom said they were starting a new series and I don't know James going to, but I totally forgot what this message was about. Or if you invite a friend next week, you're like, listen to the podcast. They're like, that's not going to happen. What, how could you summarize everything? If you forget what Mark's all about, just go to verse one. It's right there. Chapter one, one. This is what the whole gospel's about. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. That's the point of his gospel. He's going to take Mark is, Mark is 16 chapters long. Okay. He's going to take eight of those chapters to, to, to kind of land at this big turning point. At, he's going to take eight chapters for somebody to look at him and go, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Right. That first part. Right. It takes eight chapters. And he's like, so who do people say that I am? And they're like, well, some people say you're Elijah. Some people say you're John the Baptist back from the dead. Well, Who do you say that I am? And Peter looks at him in this famous verse and says, thou art the Christ. You know, you are the Messiah. And eight chapters uh, uh, it gets to there. And then he's going to take the last eight chapters and none other than a, and a Roman centurion, right? A pagan is going to have the audacity to look up at the end and not just Messiah, but at the end of the book, he's going to look up at the, at the cross and say, surely this man was the son of God. Mark hinges on these two pronouncements and he lays them right out there at the beginning. That's called foreshadowing. He says, Here's the, this is the gospel of Jesus, Messiah. He is Messiah. He is also the very son of God. Messiah, Lord God. God, man. And so he's laying it all out there together. Now, if this is the good news, an euangelion needs, as I said, an euangelionist. And so he jumps right in. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance For the forgiveness of sins and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him or being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. I looked it up. That is, in fact, kosher. Just disgusting, but you can do it. It's it's right there in Leviticus. You can also have grasshoppers if you're curious. And he preached saying, after me comes one who's mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And that's where we meet. Whoops, sorry. Put them both on one slide. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's where we meet the famous John the Baptist. He's really John the baptizer. But, you know, we shorten it. We call him John the Baptist. This is different than the the good friend of Jesus named John. There were a lot of Johns in the New Testament, just like there's a lot of Johns today. This is John the Baptist. And he is the evangelist. He's the one who's been sent to, to inaugurate Jesus showing up. So it's about 30 years A.D. And John has been sent with this mission. And he goes down to the river. He starts baptizing. John was like the greatest MC that ever lived. John the Baptist is like the greatest opening act of all time. You know what I mean? Because his job is to bring to the main stage, you know, the person that everybody came to see and then get off the stage and fade to the background. That's John the Baptist's job. Y'all put your hands together, right? Get on your feet. Here it comes. It's the Lamb of God, right? And then he fades away, right? Now, the way he words it is, hey, in fact, some people actually had the nerve to come to John and they were like, you know, Jesus is getting more famous than you. And John is like, "What do you think I came to do?" Like, duh. That's like going to the opening act and being like, "Well, you know that, like, you know that that band that everybody paid to see totally upstaged you." It's like, yes, that's their job. I'm just the opening act, and that's what John tells him. He says, "Don't you know I must in I must decrease." he must increase right his job was to bring jesus onto the main stage his job was to go before and this business about you know that, that that quote from isaiah behold i send my messenger before you the voice of the one crying in the wilderness that comes out of isaiah what god was doing there showing that these guys didn't come out of nowhere this wasn't just like you know uh 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 it's sort of random. It's not like God was in heaven. I mean, think about it. The people of Israel, uh, let's back up and do a little history. The, the, the Bible's divided into two covenants with God. One is called the Old Covenant, and the word for covenant is testament. So Old Testament, same thing as Old Covenant. And then the New Covenant, or the New Testament. The Old Covenant is everything that comes before Jesus. So there's these prophets, and these, these you know folks are speaking the words of God, and God is speaking to his people, but things are not good. You look around, God used to be king, right? Back in the Garden of Eden, we honored the kingship of God. Now we look around, things are not good. Uh, uh, we've rejected the kingship of God. And so the people of Israel are, are failing. They're not getting it right. They're not following God. And now, and now, you got, after Malachi, the last prophet in the Old Testament, now you got 400 years of silence. Can you imagine 400 years of not hearing from God? And so a lot of people in Israel are like, maybe God's given up on us, right? Can you imagine 400 years of crying out to God? Speak! Nothing. And so they're just looking, is there any prophet left in Israel? Is anybody? So that the catech... I mean, Rome is treating us really badly and, 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 and we're, we're not doing well. We're not honoring God. Our religious leaders are terrible. The priests are supposed to take care of us. They're not shepherds at all. God is completely silent. 400 years. When some of you text your friend... If you don't hear back in 400 seconds, you lose your mind. What? Are you mad at me? What? Whoa. Whoa. Just walked away from my phone. Right? And here they go. 400 years. Nothing. So to say that, to say that these verses are, to say that that the expectations are running rampant is an understatement. Here, John enters into this and he comes with authority like thunder in the desert and he calls all of israel to come and that's that business about i think it's verse six uh nope that's verse five and all the country of judea all jerusalem were going out to him that's the point that that, that there was a prophet again who was speaking god's word and so the expectations are through the roof they're like is god speaking again i mean could it be and the whole deal about all israel and all jerusalem Uh, anybody who would be ceremonially washed like baptism would usually be a gentile proselyte somebody who wanted to convert to judaism or a jew who'd become ceremonially unclean and i think that business about everybody's coming down is that all the people are sort of agreeing we're all we've all become defiled we're all unclean before god so there's all these political expectations and and while there's great fervor and great excitement It all points, the whole Old Testament points to this one thing that everybody is uh, uh, excited about. And it's, it's kind of a mysterious thing. But the whole Old Testament points to the coming day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Nobody's exactly sure what it means. Now, can you imagine being a part of a massive political movement, but you just weren't exactly sure what you really wanted? That's called politics in 2016, right? In fact, if you don't believe me, it'd be so fun. I don't recommend you do this, but it might be funny. If you do, film it and let me know how it goes. But like just walk through Manhattan. I mean, everywhere you go, there's these protests right now, right? There's protests everywhere. And just sort of join one and begin shouting. And soon, I think everybody will shout. You don't even have to know what you're shouting for. What do we want? It's unclear. When do we want it? Now! Right? It's so... Right? It just sort of gets caught up in all this fervor That's the thing That's how the day of the Lord is People are so excited But they're not exactly sure what to expect They don't know And so they're coming down They're getting baptized They're getting right They're sending Pharisees out They ask John Are you the, are you the Messiah? Are you the one? We don't know Why? Because nobody knows exactly what to expect It's one of two things They've got it narrowed down to two things Either the Old Testament, either it certainly sounds like, and you can see why there's confusion. I mean, there's verses that kind of hint both ways. Either the Day of the Lord means one day God Himself is going to come to Earth, like in uh, in Isaiah 40, the Lord comes, He'll tend His flock like a shepherd, or like in Ezekiel where God tells Ezekiel all the shepherds are wicked; they were supposed all the all the prophets and priests I sent fail. They're all supposed to be shepherding the people, they're not doing it. So God's like you want something done right got to do it yourself and god says i myself i declares the lord i myself will come down and shepherd my people so people are like god is going to come himself right well, what about uh, isaiah chapter 60 arise shine your light has come The Lord, but the Lord, a darkness covers the earth, but the Lord will arise upon you. Right? So it's like, oh, it's pretty clear in this day of the Lord, God himself is going to come. There'll be some prophet that comes before like John the Baptist and then God himself will come. But then there's these other verses where it's not God himself who comes. It's this Messiah servant of the Lord figure. So it's like, like Psalm chapter two, you know, one day, right? behold my servant whom I uphold my chosen in whom my soul delights. This will be a man whom the Lord will be well-pleased and, and the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Okay. So we're not supposed to be looking for God himself. We're, we're supposed to be looking for a servant of the Lord. Okay. Uh, and then like Isaiah 53, for example, he'll grow up like a tender shoot. There'll be, he'll, he won't be like so good looking. We all, Oh, immediately he's like covered in glory and splendor. Oh, that, that must be the one. No, there'll be no like former appearance. In fact, we'll consider him smitten by God. He'll bear our transgressions, he'll bear our iniquities, and by his stripes we'll be healed. It's the servant of the Lord, it's not God himself. It's, okay. And so you, start, you can't figure this stuff out. And by the end, one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament by the end, Isaiah the prophet just looks up at heaven and he's like, We don't, whether it's God himself, whether it's a servant of the Lord, the people are in exile. The people have forgotten God, the whole country has forgotten God. They look around. it is a mess. people are are in addiction to sin and self they 've rejected God as their king. the whole thing 's a mess, and so the prophet cries out in isaiah sixty four he, he cries out. Oh, God. And if you ever read this, crank your stereo to like 11, right? He cries out, oh, God, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Can't you hear that? The prophet's just begging God. God, if you would just rip open the sky, if you would rip open the heavens and you would come down and speak. That's what we need, God. We're desperate to hear from you. We're desperate to hear your we voice. Figure this stuff out. We just need you. To, and then the verse goes on. He's like, I want you to speak so loud. That the mountains quake and stuff just catches fire. We need to hear from you. Bring justice. We're sick of your sin. Are you going to restrain yourself forever? Are you going to hold back forever? God ripped the heavens and come down. And then verse 9. Jesus, ever so nonchalantly, he had no form or appearance. Jesus puts on some dark sunglasses. Okay? little Ball cap pulled low. And just sort of, just sort of gets in with the big crowd going down to the river biggie right and you're reading along and mark does this all the time there's like these trap doors in mark you just fall through just totally and in those days mark's like (coughs) and in those days jesus came from nazareth of galilee right i mean and was baptized by john in the jordan there's no way for me to fully capture what comes next To say that it is cataclysmic is an understatement. If I could design and publish a Bible, I would like to publish one where every time the reader just sort of read along, when you got to Mark chapter 1, verse 10, the Bible opened and somebody came out and punched you in the face. And there, as you're bleeding, you're like, what? What happened? And that's because that is the emotional experience. of That would not be a legal Bible. But in some countries, they're already illegal. So what, what the point is, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth, baptized in the Jordan. All the hopes and dreams of all of Israel are crying out for God to speak. And bam! And when he came up out of the water immediately he saw the heavens ripped open. You got the prophet going, God, the one thing we needed would be for you to rip open the heavens. Then we'll know you here. immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son with you. I am well pleased. Promise made, promise fulfilled. All right? That's Mark 1 10. So will it be, will it be a Messiah servant king? who gives no indication that he's God, who looks like he's just a regular human? Or will it be God himself? Yes. Yes. That's the mystery. The hypostatic union. That's all God, all man, in the personal work of Jesus Christ. Yes, he fulfills those Old Testament without contradiction. He fulfills those prophecies because he is both God and man. He is Messiah. He is Son of God. See, he has come in Jesus. Listen, there's only a... there's only five times, four, four times that uh, that in the Jordan River too. In that cool Jordan River, symbolic all this stuff. What great beginnings of the people of Israel, calling them to the repentance in the wilderness, and then going through the Jordan River. It's like God is calling them back to their beginnings. Uh, it was only a few people who could who could part the, part the waters in the Bible. Bible trivia time. Uh, anybody remember uh, anybody? I mean, obviously the power of God was working through these men. But anybody remember the four times waters got parted in the Old Testament? Rivers got parted. That, okay, very good. That's right. Charlton Heston uh, was the first one. Very good. Very good. Yeah, Moses parting the Red Sea. That's right. There was also a couple of E guys. A couple of E. That's right. Elijah basically slaps down his jacket, and it was such a cool jacket that. The, so, but anyway, Simon the Phans he kind of slaps down the jacket and the Jordan River parts. Elisha does the same thing, and there's another time Joshua. That's right, with the Ark. Uh, uh, very, very good. Joshua uh, parts the um, parts the Jordan River there, and so these uh, uh, people we see have split the rivers, but only one can go into the river and split the sky. There's only one other place you see the sky being ripped open. And it's it's one greater than Moses that can do that. Uh, The only other time I can see the sky being ripped open, I have to go all the way back to the beginning. And in Genesis chapter 1, it tells us that on day 2 of creation, God ripped an atmosphere out of an ocean. The Greek word schizo, the idea of a violent tearing. And only God can rip apart a sky. And what he's saying here in Mark chapter one is that God is here; He's among us. And as if all that weren't enough, if you go all the way back to the second verse in the Bible, you know Genesis one says, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth." And it says, you know, the earth was formless. You know, and, and, and it says the spirit of God was hovering over the deep. Now, if you could read Aramaic, which I cannot, you would know that the the Aramaic word that they translate it's called the Targum, the Aramaic translation of the of the Bible. They didn't say the Spirit of God was hovering over the deep. Wouldn't you guess? They translated it as follows. In English, the Spirit of God fluttered like a dove. So here you have, within like two verses of Scripture, you have God the Father creating everything. You have Him creating by via a word. Let there be light. So you have the Word of God, Jesus, and you have the Spirit of God hovering over. Father, Son, Spirit, all in the act of creation. And at Jesus' baptism, you have Father, Son, Spirit, all in the act of redemption. What is he saying? What's he doing? What is Mark 1 doing? Mark is saying, with such little words, Mark is saying, creation, Hmm? new creation. He's come. He's here. Now, you may say, uh, you know, I mean, I I I wouldn't be mad at you. I wouldn't think you were being, you know, mean-spirited if you said to me, well, that, that is all interesting. But what does it have to do with me? <laughs> That'd be fair, right? I mean, so far, it's just it's like, isn't, isn't that cool? Like, God is in human flesh. But the point of that gospel is it has everything to do with you, who are a citizen of this fallen, broken world. And so, I would like to tell you what it has to do with you in in Mark what we see here when the spirit comes down and descends on him John actually adds that the spirit remains on him and then the voice comes you are my beloved son with you I'm well pleased what what do you think that did to Jesus I mean as he's seeing all this to know that he's forever loved and wrapped up in the eternal dance of the trinity like Right? What did that do to Jesus? How much power? That is the launching pad for his whole ministry. How much power was in that launch to know that God said, this is my beloved son and with you I'm well pleased. To know that the Holy Spirit remains on him. Imagine what that power that would have put in Jesus to be enveloped in the Father's love, to be anointed by the Spirit's power. This is what it has to do with you. This is what I came this morning to say. If you miss everything else, get this. Jesus came so that you could have What he's experienced for all eternity. He came so that that what was said of Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He wants to speak that over you. This is my beloved daughter in her I'm well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Look, the spirit remains on you. Jesus came so that you could have what he enjoyed from all eternity past. That kind of love of God, the father, that kind of being drawn into the father's love. He came that you and I might experience that. And he came not just to talk about it. He came to do it. And that's why the book of Mark is about what he did. He came to earn for us by his atoning death on the cross, by the power of his resurrection. He came to earn for us that the rest of the gospel of Mark is how he did it. We'll end here on verse 12 and 13. And James will pick back up next week. And, uh, uh, continue in this gospel of mark but just to end the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness there's that word immediately all right look when you get baptized if you've not been baptized believers baptism bapti- baptism by immersion that's what i believe the bible teaches right if that has not happened for you i hope that you'll take that step of faith baptism doesn't save you baptism is an outward picture of an inward change that's already taken place. And that's why we believe it only makes sense to do believers' baptism. You're not evil and wicked and bad if you were baptized as an infant. It means your parents cared about you and wanted you raised in church. You know, no hating. The fact of the matter is, though, many people at my church who were baptized, you know, christened as little infants or whatever, they come to discover that what the Bible says is believers' baptism, and then they they want to be baptized as believers. Guess what we do? We baptize them as believers with great joy. So, you know... um, But the the the, the, the idea of the going down the water and coming back up. Here's here's the point of all I the whole reason I said that. If and when you get baptized, I hope at least you get a reception with some cookies and punch. (laughs) That's the whole reason I wanted to say that. At least I don't know maybe a handshake, perhaps a hug, some photographs. Jesus' hair is still dripping wet, and the spirit's like you're baptized. Let's roll. And wasn't like, come on, come on, come on Drove him out into the wilderness The very God who said, you should pray Lead us not into temptation Was led into temptation by the Holy Spirit So people were like, well, I don't know God never wants me to walk through a wilderness (laughs) The Spirit immediately drove His hair is still wet He's just seen the dove Seen the heavens ripped open And here we go gonna go 40 rounds and he was in the i love this this is all you get from mark and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him what happened mark what happened what, what? that's all you get no there's gotta be you want to read matthew all i'm telling you right there that's all you get from mark I have no idea what happened in those 40 days. Now, you can read Matthew and you can find out about some of these other things. It fills in the gaps. But listen, listen. Something happened in the very first cosmic showdown. It's almost like Jesus. It's, it's, listen, you, you get the feeling with all the scripture and with all the Old Testament prophecy. God is saying, hey, none of this stuff is out of the blue. This is out of the blueprint. This was prepared before time began. It was almost, that's why the spirit drove him there. And it's almost like he's like, all right, you baptized, ready? Going to start your ministry. All right, here we go. You know where it's got to start. Jesus walks out in the wilderness. (laughs) (laughs) Showdown in the desert. Israel's been in the desert 40 years. And when they had a chance, they didn't trust God. What's this guy going to do? And here Satan comes. Jesus, and he's got the angels in his corner, ministering to him, right? Cut me, Gabriel. (laughs) Satan's got his demons in his corner, right? And here's the best part. Satan's like, this one's a layup. This is cake. Why does he think that? Satan's like, man, I, I did this once before. It's... It's Satan one, God nothing, man. I mean, I'm batting a thousand here. Look, 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 look. The first time I did this with this quote-unquote son of God, first time, his name was Adam, first time I did this, the whole deck was stacked against me. The first time, I had zero advantages, and he had all the advantages. Look, 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 look. For one thing, he was in a garden called paradise. Okay, Eden. Now, how are you going to tempt someone who has everything? You ever think about that? What do you get the man who has everything? What am I going to tempt him with? If he's hungry, he just reaches up and grabs a delicious fruit so rich and so good, you can't even imagine it today. I mean, Skittles, but as close as you can come. Tasting the rainbow. It ain't real. Okay, it's processed. If he he wants, I mean, what am I going to tempt him with? Lust? Well, here's the only woman in the world walking around naked at all times. And it's pure and good and nobody needs to feel any shame because that's Adam and Eve. And that's how I designed it. Okay. What am I going to tempt him with? Tempt him to steal? He has everything. Tempt him. Oh, you know what? He's, he's going to be scared. By what? God gave him dominion over the animals. Oh, hey, tiger. Hey, porpoise. Hey, like what? Porpoises aren't even scary if they weren't. It didn't have dominion. That was a bad example, but you get the point, Right. There's nothing. What can you tempt this man who has everything? There's the whole deck is stacked against him. And so he gets Adam and Eve to be their own Lord, to be their own God. Now, now, you telling me I got a guy in the wilderness? I was able to take down a guy in the Garden of Eden. Wilderness? He's starving. He wants to reach out and get, get food. There is no food. You're in the wilderness. There's no fruit trees. I bet I can tempt him, maybe, maybe make a little bread out of these rocks. Yeah, I'll think about that. I'll get back to that, right? Think about that. And he says, oh, 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 and and, and beasts. Talk about beasts, this business about the wild animals and all that business. In the Garden of Eden, these were tame animals. Here, these are wild animals, and you're out in the wilderness. Jesus is going to be scared, and I will use that fear. And I'll tempt him uh, to test God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll have him, like, jump off the temple to make sure that God's really going to be there for me. Because these wild animals are scared. This one is in the bank. This is cake. It's a layup. He's used to it, is he not? For thousands of years, Satan has been running around the earth like he owns this house. Why not? Name somebody who's proven more powerful. Caesar hasn't. The priests and prophets haven't. They seem to come and go. Now, we don't know. From Mark's telling alone, it's true. We simply do not know the outcome of what happened in the showdown in the desert. But it's interesting in the rest of the Gospel of Mark, you want to guess who never again makes a personal appearance? Satan. His name shows up. Peter gets called him. But he never again makes a personal appearance. I have no, I have no idea. I was, I was not there. But something went down. And the demons saw it. Because through the rest of the Gospel of Mark, you know who does show up? His demons... And guess what? The reaction. You don't think of this as a demonic reaction. You think of scary and violent and all this. The one emotion they show every time they meet Jesus? Fear. They're scared to death of him. Whatever went down, those demons saw what Jesus did to Big Boss Man. And so when Jesus shows up, they're like, don't torture us. Send us into that flock of pigs. Just don't torture us. Don't kill. Who are you? They're scared to death of Jesus. Now we don't know, but we're given a little clue just a few chapters later. Jesus is on a, I mean, he's on a mission, literally, and begins to cast out these demons and take all these people and, and, and restore uh, sick people back to health. He takes uh, dead people, raises them alive. life. And finally, the Pharisees look around and they go, how is this guy able to cast out all these demons? And we get this little clue. It's good. He gets a little clue. And and, and and they start to fight. And, and and some of the Pharisees are like, well, obviously, he, I mean, he, he, he can't be the one from God. This can't be real power. Well, what are you saying? Well, I don't know. Maybe... Maybe he, like, casts out demons because he's using demonic power to do it. Maybe he uses Satan to cast out Satan. And everybody kind of laughs, like, (laughs) Siri. Even Jesus laughs it off. He's like, oh, really? Like, a kingdom divided against itself? That's a good plan? Come on, you know that's not true. And then he gives us little tiny clue, and I think it's what happened right here in what you're reading. He says a very interesting thing. He says, you know, nobody can go into a strong man's house and plunder all his goods. Unless he first binds the strong man. And once he binds the strong man, then he can go through freely in the house and plunder his good. What I think happened in the wilderness was the binding of that quote-unquote strong man Satan by one Jesus of Nazareth. And now he's walking through the rest of Mark, plundering that which is rightfully his. He's like, oh, here's somebody that Satan's wrecked with disease, healed. Here's somebody Satan wrecked with dead. Oh, you're dead? Not anymore. I mean, Jesus is just walking through. What's he doing? He is, I mean, he is just eating Satan's lunch, like we say down south. He's having his way. Why? Because the straw man's been bound there in the wilderness and Jesus is on the loose. The book of Mark opens and closes with stuff being ripped. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? Gospel of Mark opens with the sky being ripped open. It closes with the veil of the temple being ripped open because not the heavens, not religion, nothing keeps God from being on the loose in the world. Right? That's the power of God. Yeah, yeah. And so we charge into the Gospel of Mark. Come back next week for part two. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that this good news that we get what you earned for us and that you were on a mission to redeem, restore. You chased our sin all the way to Calvary and you caught it on that hill and rose again from the dead to triumph over death itself. Father, I thank you that you can offer this love and power that you've experienced for all eternity to everyone here. I pray if anyone is here who knows you, they love you, they are followers of you, that the book of Mark would put fresh courage into them and a renewal as we charge into this summer. And I pray for anyone here today who does not yet know you as Savior and Lord. Today would be the day when they open their heart to you and receive what you came to offer us. The Father's love, the Spirit's power, redemption and forgiveness in jesus christ we pray this in his name amen on the night before he was betrayed jesus gave us a way of remembering this story right i mean i'm a guy who responds visually to things and jesus gave us this visual aid so to speak and it's a supper of remembrance and on the night he was betrayed and As I'm talking, you may see some folks move around and get into position. Those are the ushers, and they're going to help us get to the table reverently. They'll be lighting some candles, and so we just just stay focused here. They'll begin moving around, taking care of their ministries. But on the night he was betrayed, the Bible says that Jesus took this bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it. He blessed it, right? That's what that giving thanks is. He broke it, and he said, this is my body given for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup. Saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Right? The New Testament. You hear that? He said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's really the heart of this supper. Remember what? I, the, it's just a symbol. I mean, I told you at the beginning, the gospel was a royal announcement. It's not about what's been done. I mean, it's not about what you can do. It's about what's been done. And so really, that's it. I mean... His body's been broken for you. His blood's been spilled for you. Believe it. Receive it. Tell somebody else. But it's not like you could do these things to make yourself worthy before a holy God. If you're here today and you're not a believer, if you're not living with Jesus as the Lord of your life, you know, it's, you don't need to receive these elements. You need to receive Christ. You need to receive the one to whom these elements point. It doesn't do you any good to receive the symbol if the reality's not there. That's why the supper is a symbol. It's for those who believe Jesus, who who have received him as Lord. No one would think less of you if you didn't come up for that reason. It just means you're struggling and you're seeking. It's that's, that's a good thing. Getting your questions answered. But for those who are believers, this is meant to remind us of what's been done for us and our salvation. So the ushers are going to come. Please come. And, and they'll prepare things. And the musicians will play. This would be a great time to... Focus your heart, calm your spirit to think about God's word for you as he overcomes in your life. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.